the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. They have won battles, haven't they? They have even won some battles in your life. They will win battles. And they will even win battles in your life. But they have lost the war. They are defeated. Because their general is a defeated foe. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus Christ like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhillchurch.com. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. Near the center of your Bible, take a left, Esther, Job, Psalms, Esther chapter 1 is where we're going to begin, and you'll need that pen, pencil, lipstick, mascara, Crayola, something to jot down these nuggets of spiritual gold with, because we are going to take a journey through Scripture together. Do me a favor as we gather to worship, and would you welcome our community of faith, our other campus, Mission Hill Six Mile, would you welcome them as they worship with us today? Pastor Jeff, our campus pastor there, has been preaching and doing a wonderful job these last few weeks as we concluded the study in Jonah, but today they join us as we spend these next two weeks just seeking God about how he wants to bring around a God movement in and through us. So here's my question I want to begin with today. What is your divinely designed reason for being? Why are you here What is your purpose? Or as Rick Warren said when he began that best-selling book, The Purpose Driven Life, what on earth am I here for? I've lived enough life to know that people easily get caught up in the wrong purposes. It's easy to make our lives about our job, career, our education, about our titles, about the people that we hang around with or what pleases those people. We can make it about politics. We can make it about our families. We can even make it about what we enjoy, what we have fun doing. There are many things that compete with our energies, our passions, our pursuits. And throughout history, there have been many worthwhile movements. Movements of the people of God where we began to see God do something through them. Movements where people, sometimes even individuals, changed history. The greatest movement you'll ever be a part of is a movement of God. And I'm here to tell you today that God is on the move. He is alive. He's not always seen as he moves, but he's always moving. In fact, that leads me to the overarching truth I want you to understand today. Here it is. The invisible hand of God is at work in and around you to accomplish his purpose for your good and his glory. You don't always see him. You'll often not understand him. If you're not careful, you may miss 
his hand. But the invisible hand of God is at work in and around and through you. And he's working for your good and for his glory. It's like the hymn that we used to sing records, immortal, invisible, God only wise. What is the immortal, invisible God saying to you today? The book of Esther is a unique book in the Bible. You could say it's the story of a slave girl, a girl that was born into Jewish exile, actually in what we now know is the country of Iran. And there, born into exile, God catapults her into a position of prominence. But this is not a story about a civil rights movement. You could say it's a Cinderella story. It's another example in scripture where God uses a strong woman to accomplish his purpose. Women like Rahab and Deborah and Ruth and Mary. This is a story of a strong woman, but this is not a story of a women's movement. What you're going to see as you uncover the story of Esther is that this is a book that records a movement of God. And yet, it's unique in that it's the only book in the Bible where the name of God is not mentioned. It's interesting in that fashion. Why is it here? Well, it teaches us something important about God, about God's doctrine. And as always, when we learn more about God, it begins to expose who we are. So when we learn more about God, we learn more about ourselves. This is a story of a God movement. And it teaches us that God is active and moving all around you, even when you don't see him, even when you don't sense his presence. So don't miss this today. Even when it seems like God is absent, his fingerprints are all over you and your situation. So let's just take a time out because some of you are facing a health crisis right now and your heart's cry is, where are you, God? Some of you are facing a financial crisis right now and in your mind, you're screaming, where are you, God? Some of you are in the midst of relational crisis. You don't know how things are going to work out. And in your heart, you're crying out for healing and help and saying, Where are you, God? I want you to understand that whether it's in your individual life, whether it's in your family life, or whether it's in our life as a church, it's not a question of whether or not God is here and at work. The question is, are we going to trust him in what he's doing? And the story of Esther illustrates the fingerprints of God throughout human history, and it does so without ever mentioning his name. Listen to the word of God in Esther chapter one, beginning in verse one. Now in the day of Ahasuerus, some of your translations use his other name, Xerxes. This is the Ahasuerus who reigned from India to Ethiopia over 127 provinces. In those days when King Ahasuerus sat on his throne in Susa, the citadel, in the third year of his reign, he gave a feast for all his officials and his servants. And the army of Persia and Media and the nobles and the governors of the provinces were before him. And while he showed the riches of his royal glory and the splendor and pomp of his greatness for many days, 180 days. Now, I want you to know a couple of things that should clue us in that there's going to be a problem. Whenever you throw a party about how great you are, 
you're setting yourself up for trouble. And this is quite a party, 180 80 days. That's six months. That's not a party. That's a party. <laughs> and during this same time, Queen Vashti was throwing a party. She threw her own party. And here's what we see. The king is drunk. His friends are drunk. And he turns to these drunkards and he asks them, what do you think we should do? Now, how do you think that's going to end up? What could possibly go wrong? Look at verse 10. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, you understand what that's saying, right? He commanded Mahuman, Biztha, Harbana, Bigtha, and Abagtha, Zethar, and Carcass, the seven eunuchs who served in the presence of King Azarias, to bring King Vashti before the king with her royal crown in order to show the peoples and the princes her beauty, for she was lovely to look at. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command delivered by the eunuchs. At this, the king became enraged and his anger burned within him. Now, we don't know exactly why he was calling the king, the queen to come, but it doesn't sound good. We really don't know if he was wanting her to do a strip tease before his buddies. We don't know if if he was going to expose her before them, but it's pretty clear this was not on the up and up. And what we do know is the queen said, no, thank you. I'm not interested in this, but I want you to see what happened. This didn't just make the king mad. This upset his buddies. Look at verse 16. Then Mamukin said in the presence of the king and the officials, not only against the king has Queen Vashti done wrong, but also against all the officials and all the peoples who were in the provinces of King Ahasuerus. For the queen's behavior will be known to all the women, causing them to look at their husbands with contempt, and they will say, King Ahasuerus commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him, and she did not come. This very day, the noble women of Persia and Media who have heard of the queen's behavior will say to the same, the king's officials, and there'll be contempt and wrath aplenty. What are they saying? Hey, king, if, if our wives hear what your wife did, then they're going to start treating us like she's treating you. We don't want that. That's bad news. If you don't do something about this, all of us will be in trouble. Our wives won't listen to us. They'll begin to think they can think for themselves. Now, that's a novel thought. They may start a movement. So, king, you better do something. How often do we get ourselves into trouble when we do something about something that's been done to us? We react in reflex. Our tongue gets ahead of our head. And instead of trusting God, we launch out on our own. Look at verse 19. So if it please the king, let a royal order go out from him and let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes so that it may not be repealed that Vashti is never to come again before the king Ahasuerus and and let the king give her royal position to another who is better than she. So they're saying, hey, king, if you really want to pay her back for this, just write it down in the law. And once it's written down in the law, that cannot be revoked. So write it down so that it cannot be revoked, that she can't even come into your presence and just replace her. And it gets worse because he does that. Look at chapter two, verse two. Then the king's young men who attended him said, let beautiful young virgins 
be sought out for the king. And let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom to gather all the beautiful young virgins to the harem in Susa, the citadel, under the custody of Haggai, the, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women, and let their cosmetics be given to them. So he said, hey, go find the most beautiful women in the kingdom, give them whatever makeup they need, and prepare them for the king. If you've just joined us, you're listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. Video of the message you're listening to is available when you click the Watch tab at MissionHillChurch.com. Thanks for sharing time with us and for sharing your financial gifts by clicking the Give button at MissionHillChurch.com. And now, with more of today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. You see what's happening here? There's a family conflict. There's a battle of the sexes. There's laws written that can't be changed. All of this has nothing to do with God, right? Stay tuned. Look at chapter 2, verse 5. Now, there was a Jew in Susa, the citadel whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shimei, son of Kish, a Benjamin. I want you to understand something. God always has people to accomplish his purposes. He has throughout history. He had with Noah. He did with Moses. He used Joshua and David. And then came a man that was like no other man. On his father's side, he descended from the portals of heaven. But on his mother's side, he was born in a manger in Bethlehem. It, on his father's side, he was there from the beginning of creation. On his mother's side, he was born and his birth we celebrate every year at Christmas. You see, this man's name was Jesus. And Jesus did what no other man could ever do. But we'll get back to that in just a moment. I, I want you to understand that God will find someone to accomplish his purpose. So look what happened in Esther chapter two and verse seven. So Mordecai was bringing up Hadassah, that is Esther. Say Esther. This is the story of Esther, the daughter of his uncle, for she had neither father nor mother. And the young woman had a beautiful figure and she was lovely to look at. And when her father and her mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So when the king's order and his edict were proclaimed, and when many young women were gathered in Susa, the citadel in custody of Haggai, Esther also was taken into the king's palace and put in custody of Haggai, who had charge of the women. And the young woman pleased him and won his favor. And he quickly provided her cosmetics and her portion of food with seven chosen women from the king's palace, and he advanced her and her young women to the best place in the harem. Do you understand what's taking place? This is kind of crazy and creepy. So the king's holding a beauty pageant. He's gathered people from around the kingdom. He's choosing his top 10, in this case, six. And he's advancing them to be a part of his harem. If you read this entire passage, what you find out, it is a thorough process. They spend six months in the spa getting beauty treatments. 
just making sure their makeup is right and prepared for the king. And the king liked what he saw in Esther. Look at verse 17. The king loved Esther more than all the women, and she won grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins that he had set the crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. This is when we meet Queen Esther. And don't miss this. Esther became queen in the king's palace because of something that she had absolutely nothing to do with. Her looks. When God wants to use you for his glory, he's not dependent upon what you do, what you've accomplished, the name you've made for yourself, or what's in your wallet. He'll do it his way. He'll accomplish his purpose by the works of his hand. God will use whoever he chooses, whenever he wants, wherever he pleases to do whatever he has in mind. Remember the story of Joseph? God moved him from the pit to the palace. And then he took him from being a prisoner to being prime minister. Why? So that he could accomplish his purpose. And then it's recorded in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20. As for you, you meant it evil against me, Joseph said, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. God has always been moving throughout history to accomplish his purpose. And that's what you're seeing in this story of Esther. What circumstances in your life, in in your family, in your workplace, in your classroom, what circumstances surrounding you are calling you to trust the presence of God even when you may not see him? Notice how God begins to move. It just so happens in Esther chapter 2 and verse 21. In those days, as Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Now, why was he at the king's gate? Because he was working for the king. He would have been working for the king if he was at the king's gate. You know what's interesting? Mordecai is a Jew. King doesn't know that. People around him doesn't know that. But God has positioned him there. Can I remind you today, God knows your address. In fact, let me go a step further. According to Acts chapter 17, it's God that has determined where you're living. It's God that has set the boundaries around you. He knew exactly where Mordecai needed to be, exactly when he needed to be there. You may have heard it said, the devil is in the details. When you look at the story of Esther, you see that God is into details. And he cares about the details of your life. There's nothing going on in your life that has escaped the knowledge of God. So it continues, Bigthan and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold became angry and they sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And this came to the knowledge of Mordecai. And he told Queen Esther and Esther told the king in the name of Mordecai. So you understand what happened. Mordecai's at the gate. He's here, he hears these dudes plotting to assassinate the king. He says, this is not good. He sends word to Esther. Esther sends word to the king. And then we have this key phrase, verse 23, when the affair was investigated and found to be so, the men were both hanged on the gallows and it was recorded in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. You know what was happening here? It was God movement. God was moving to accomplish his purpose. 
God moved Mordecai to care for Esther. God moved Esther to the king's palace. God moved Mordecai to the king's gate. God moved his ears to hear the plot against the king. God moved Esther to tell the king. And God moved the king to write it down. And that's going to be key because next week when we come back, we're going to begin with the reality that the king opens the book and reads what was written down. But I want you to write this down today. When God wants to move to accomplish his will, he will move anything and anyone that's in his way. You need to hold on to that. Because some of you are walking through a a challenging time. And remember, we're all in one of three categories. We've either just come out of a challenging time, we're in the middle of a challenging time, or we may not realize it, but we're headed into a challenging time. And some of you today are in the midst of that, and and you're thinking, God, do you know I'm here? Or are you aware of what's going on? And what about these folks over there? I want to remind you, when God wants to move to accomplish his will, he will move. And he'll move anything and anyone that's in his way. So the plot thickens. This is where it gets good. Look at chapter three. We're trucking along. And all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman. Now this is a new character. And he is evil. And we want to acknowledge his evilness. So we're going to boo him. So when... This is audience participation. When you hear the name Haman, I want you to boo. So I'm going to read that again. And all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and they paid homage to Haman. For the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage. And then the king's servants who were at the king's gate said to Mordecai, why do you transgress the king's command? And when they spoke to him day after day, he would not listen to them. And they told Haman in order to see whether Mordecai's words would stand, for he had told them that he was a Jew. So we understand what's taking place here, though it's not spelled out. Why is he not bowing? It's the same reason Daniel and his friends wouldn't bow. Because they understood there's only one God. There's only one worth bending your knee to. There's only one worth surrendering control to. There's only one worth subjecting the governance of your life to. And some of you are being governed by all the wrong things. You've got habits or hurts or hangups that are governing you. There are other people that are governing you. Your job is governing you. Your emotions are governing you. Mordecai understood he he was to bow to no one. And when Haman, some of you are forgetting, saw that Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage to him, Haman was filled with fury, but he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone. So they had made known to him the people of Mordecai. Haman sought to destroy all the Jews. See how bad this guy is? Haman, Hitler, I mean, the same, it's the same process people of Mordecai throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus. As you look at the full counsel of God's word, you begin to understand something. All throughout history, ever since the garden, there have always been people seeking to thwart the purposes of God. There will be a lot of things in your life that surprise you. 
But stop being surprised that people who are not the children of God are acting sinfully. Stop being surprised that those who are not a part of our family of faith may choose to be hostile to our faith. And I dare say, I think we're living in a time where that will grow even more. There will always be those kind of people. And I would say to you, they have won battles, haven't they? They have even won some battles in your life. They will win battles. And they will even win battles in your life. But they have lost the war. They are defeated. Because their general is a defeated foe. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis, an outreach of Mission Hill Church. If you're looking for answers to difficult questions or searching for a church home, you're invited to any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. Details and directions at missionhillchurch.com. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement, but it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhillchurch.com and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhillchurch.com. Weekdays at 9 a.m. Be encouraged by The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk, a.m. 570 and 910.